Well, good morning, Active Church. How are you? It's so good to see you. My name is Mike, and I serve on the team here at Active. And what a gift it is to have you come back if you've been a part of Active for a long time. And what a gift it is to have you here for the very first time. We are a church that believes that you can tell a better story, and that better story begins and ends in the person and in the work of Jesus. And that's why we celebrate, that's why we sing, and that's why we gather. So we're honored that you have come to join us here in the room. And for those watching online, we love you, and we're glad that you're joining us online today. We uh, have been in a series called With You Always, and it's been pretty powerful. And we have two weeks left, this week and next week, and I'm excited about what we get to talk about over those next two weeks. But first, I would love to just pray some words over you. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you that we have a place where we can come and gather. God, I know that with as many people that are in this room and those that are watching online, I know that we are carrying a lot of different things, a lot of heavy things. We're carrying all sorts of emotions and thoughts. We're carrying all sorts of victories and defeats. God, I pray that in this moment, you would help us to sift through the things that we don't need to carry anymore. And God, that we would trust you with those things. And God, more importantly, that we would be different in how we walk out of here than how we walked in. God, that you would do a good work in us. So would you open our ears to hear and our eyes to see and our mind to receive? God, if we find ourselves just intrigued by you, maybe not a follower of you, may today be a day where we can take a next step. God, for those that are back again, because this is what they do, this is who they are. I pray that they would be inspired and encouraged by what you want to teach them today. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray all of this. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen and amen. I want to ask you to do two things with me today uh, to get started. The first thing that I want to ask you to do is I, I want you to begin to think about that moment in your life where you were in a bit of a fog. Have you ever had a moment or a season of life where you were in a fog, like maybe disconnected emotionally, disconnected mentally, maybe even disconnected relationally with those around you? You were in a bit of a fog, maybe in a bit of a funk, because we got the funk, got to have that funk, right? And so um, some of my older friends will get that one. My younger friends are like, I don't know what that means. Um, That's okay. I want to invite you to just think about that moment for just a moment. For some of you, it's not a a long journey because perhaps you just got out of the fog. For others of you, maybe you have to go back a few years because that posture, that emotion, that disconnect, that neutral way of life is a life that you were living a long time ago. For some, you might be able to go back and you can claim victory over those moments and you're thankful that you're not there. For others, maybe it's still really hard. Maybe it still feels a bit heavy. But I want to invite you for just a moment, because it's important for where we're going today. I want to invite you for just a moment to go back to that season of life when you were in a fog, where you were in a funk. Are you there? Feel the emotions for a moment. Feel the, the weight of everything that you were experiencing. If it brings some tears to your eyes, that's okay. If, if it brings a smile to your face because you're out of it, that, that is totally okay. But I think all of us had 
or have had a moment where we have been in a bit of a fog. And, and here's what's interesting about those moments. We weren't aware that we were in a fog. And the reason why we weren't aware of it is because we felt fine. Everything kind of seemed fine, right? Life was moving forward, at least from our perspective. And then when we had our eyes open to it, everything changed for us, right? Everything, everything caught our attention. Like we were overwhelmed by what was brought to us. And do you remember how you got out of it? Wasn't it the voice of someone outside of you? Maybe it was in an environment like this. Maybe it was a a song that you heard, a worship song, or maybe just a favorite song. Maybe it was a spouse or a significant other. Maybe it was a family member. Maybe it was a kid. Maybe it was a really good friend. And they just said something to you that just snapped you back to reality. They said something to you that caught your attention. They pointed out something that you were carrying around and you weren't aware that you were carrying it around and they called it out of you because they love you and you trust them. Those are powerful moments. And I'm grateful for friends and family members that will address us and love us and invite us into something better. Out of the fog and into a better way of life. My wife and I, we met at the uh, college group here at Active Church years ago. And I was involved and she was invited to be involved. And the rhythm of life that I was living was not the rhythm of life that she was living. I was a follower of Jesus. She had not yet met Jesus. And so she had a friend that just kept inviting her to our college group. And Tiff will tell you that she said yes to the like fifth or sixth invite just so her friend would shut up and stop inviting her to church. She's like, maybe if I say yes, maybe if I show up, maybe if I check the box, everything will be fine. The reason, one of the reasons why Tiff didn't want to come was because she couldn't quite understand how this group of church people would have a good time. Like, how are they going to have a good time without all of this that she was involved in? And maybe you're in that category as well. And when she showed up that first night and hung out with us, we had a great time. And to her own admission, she left going, I can't believe I actually had a great time. I can't believe that these people are fun. Like they're weird Christian people, but I like them, right? And I can't believe I had a really good time. And then she came back and then she came back again and then came back again. And eventually she came to know Jesus as her Lord. The Tiffany that I know versus the Tiffany that she tells me about before she met Jesus are two different people. It's actually pretty pretty amazing to see what God has done in her life. But she needed somebody to call her out of the fog. She needed somebody that would be relentless in inviting her into something better. And I'm grateful for those people that do that in our lives. You ever been in a fog? You ever been in a funk? Maybe you're there right now. Here's why this conversation is important, because I'm convinced that for many of us, maybe even all of us, We're in a bit of what I would call a spiritual fog. Here's here's what I mean. Let me prove it to you. Second thing I want you to do this morning. Can you imagine a world where people are living in perfect harmony? Can you imagine a world where there is no fear and no worry and no loss and no pain and no death? It's hard, right? 
And the reason why it's hard is because this is the reality that we live in. Just like when we were in a frog personally, that was the reality we lived in and we needed somebody to call us out of that. I think for a lot of us, we are living in a spiritual fog and we have just come to realize like this is just how it's going to be. It is what it is. And in fact, I think for some of us, if I could push on you for just a minute, I think for some of us, we don't know, we don't know what to do without fear and worry and anxiety. Like those things hold us together. Some of you follow Jesus because of those things. I don't want to go as far as to say that we enjoy those things, but some of us, I think we have those things held closely to our heart because we've taught ourselves that we need those things and we live in this fear and this worry and this anxiety when it comes to following Jesus. Instead of being hopeful and joyful, we're people that are on our heels, that lean back, that are afraid. And yet when I look at the words and hear the words of our Lord, Jesus Christ, in the scriptures, some of the most frequent, often communicated commands of Jesus are do not be afraid and do not worry because I hold life in my hands. But I think for a lot of us, we just, we just can't picture life in the way that Jesus is talking about life. Because we allow life around us to dictate and determine how we see the world. Similar to what Pastor Joe said earlier, our posture is terrible. And I think we need to get out of the fog, friends. I think we need to get out of the funk. And the reason why this conversation is so important is because what we're going to talk about next week is built upon what we talk about today. So don't miss next week, all right? That's a tease, right? That's, that's what we're, we're, we're teasing you on next week. But in order to get to next week, we have to talk about what we're talking about today. And friends, I want to give you two things that invite us out of the fog. Two things that Jesus has communicated and invited us to practice, invited us to do so that we don't live in this fog anymore. We've been in a series called With You Always. And these words were the last words of Jesus to his first century disciples, his first century followers. And these words came with a promise that Jesus would be with you always. That there would never be a time that you would be without Jesus, that he would be present always. Even if you don't feel him, he's present. Even if you don't see him, he's present. His power is within you. And that's what these first century Christians needed. And that's what the letter of Revelation is communicating. Here's what the story of God looks like and sounds like when you're confident that Jesus is with you always. And we've been journeying through this letter. If you've missed any of the conversation, I would encourage you to go back to our website and check out the messages because this conversation has been really hopeful and helpful. For a lot of us who have been Christians for a long time, this letter can be very fearful or at least assumed that it's talking about fearful things when in reality, this is one of the most hopeful, powerful letters in all of the scriptures. And we find that some of the most hopeful and helpful directions are in Revelation 19 and in Revelation 20. And so if you brought a Bible with you or you have access to the Bible app, I want to invite you to turn to Revelation 19, starting in verse 9. And what we're about to see are two things that invite us out of the fog, that call us out of the posture that we're in right now. 
that shift us out of neutral into overdrive. Now, as you're turning there, if you're new to active and you're new to this series, let me give you some boundaries that we have worked with over the last few weeks. The first thing that we have understood in this letter is that it was written to them for us, meaning that we can't make it say to us what it didn't say to them. We like to read ourselves into the letter of Revelation. Friends, we are not written into the letter of Revelation. John is writing to first century Christians around 96 AD, and this is a vision that Jesus gives him to write to them. There are things in it for us, but when we make it about America or America, Americans or the West, or we make it about today, it is not about that at all. It's a letter that John wrote to bring hope and courage to those first century Christians, and there are things in it that it can teach us. Second thing, this letter is filled with all sorts of images and descriptions that actually mean something. And they're in there to hook us. Instead of just writing us a letter and, and saying what needs to be said very directly and very sternly, Jesus gives John a vision and he writes down what he sees to help draw us in. It's why when we read this letter, there are beasts and there are dragons and there are bowls and there is wrath and there is anger and there is love and there is grace. And it's all described in really beautiful, powerful ways so that we will lean in. I have a friend of mine who said if Jesus walked the earth today, he would probably be a movie director because that is where he would capture our attention. And Revelation is a movie. It's a story being told that John writes down to the first century Christians. And this letter has been preserved for you and for me so that we can learn something from it as well. And what we learn in Revelation 19 and Revelation 20 is how we get out of the fog and start seeing the world for the reality that it is. Here's what John sees first in Revelation 19.9. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. We'll talk about the wedding supper of the Lamb in just a moment. But again, this is one of those moments where we see great imagery describing what's taking place in this moment. And what John is writing about is layered. He's talking about a moment, and he's talking about many moments. The wedding supper of the land of the Lamb is a moment, and it's also many moments. It's describing when the followers of Jesus and Jesus come and gather together. There is power in that gathering. There is celebration in that gathering. There is good work that's being done in that gathering. There is hope that's being shared in that gathering. And what John sees is that this great multitude of people are acknowledging what's taking place in their lives and around them. Look at what happens in verse no, verse 6 of Revelation 19. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like a roar of rushing waters, like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding supper of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. They gathered and they sang and they celebrated because God is up to something good. It's what we just did in this place, friends. It's why we sing and it's why we celebrate and it's why we tell better stories because it's a reminder that God is up to something good and it causes us to remember that he's always up to something good and that he hasn't forgotten us and he hasn't left us and he is leading us. Now let's talk about the language that's being used the wedding supper of the Lamb and the bride of Christ. 
The bride of Christ represents you and me, followers of Jesus. The scriptures talk often about how the church is the bride of Christ because the language being used is language used so that we would understand the sacrificial love of God found through the person and the work of Jesus. This is why in the scriptures, when you as a husband read through on how you are to love your wife, the the direction is this, that you love your wife as Jesus has loved his church. That he gave his life. His sacrificial love gave life. He was not selfish. He was selfless. And so husbands, that's how we are to love our wives. But then in this image, we as the people of God get to be the bride. We get to be the one that Jesus is fighting for. We often see our relationship with God as we're fighting to have a relationship with God. And there are aspects of that that are true in our relationship with God. But you need to know that the only reason why we get to fight for a relationship with God is because Jesus Christ already fought for us. He already fought for you. He is one. The victory is his. And now in this image of a moment and moments, there's this wedding feast. And everybody's invited and they're singing, and they're celebrating. And what they're singing and celebrating is the work of God. And notice where they're singing and celebrating. They're singing and celebrating around a table. Because what we learn from the beginning of the scriptures is that God forms us around a table. God doesn't lecture us in a classroom. God doesn't condemn us in a sermon. That anytime God forms and shapes his people, we are invited to have a seat. Think about the last Super Bowl party you were at. You don't just watch the game. You stuff your face with guacamole, right? Sometimes we do that when our team is losing. It makes it more palatable for us, right? Think about the last time you really had a, maybe a, a great time with family, with your intimate family or extended family. Wasn't it, wasn't it around a table, maybe Thanksgiving or, or Christmas? Wasn't it a moment where you sat around the table and had good conversations? Most of the really fun, powerful, sarcastic, sometimes mean, but hilarious conversations that happen in the Frisch home is around the table. And we'll sit and we'll talk. We've grown into this habit over the last few months that after dinner, we'll just sit and laugh and talk about all things. Everything's on the table. We'll make fun of each other out of love. And then we'll make fun of people that can't make fun of us back, which is always really fun because then you're up on them, which is really great. And I'm winning in my family right now. And, but, but we also have moments where we laugh when we share stories and we talk about what God is doing. We talk about our relationships. Like sitting around the table is a beautiful picture of what we see in Revelation. This is where God forms us and where God shapes us. He doesn't make you sit and listen, listen to a 45-minute lecture with PowerPoints on why you're a sinner and why you need a Savior. Jesus Jesus invites you to come and have a seat. Come and have a seat. This isn't just for Christians, by the way. If you're not a Christian in this place or watching online, you have a seat too. Jesus says, come and have a seat. I saved it for you. 
Years ago, before Tiff and I started dating, we started to notice each other. Like, it wasn't just like, that's my friend. It was like, oh, that's my friend. Okay. And, 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 and for some reason, she, like, it came back. Like, she thought that of me as well. And there was this moment where the guys in our college group were going to honor the ladies in our group. And we gathered for this great meal at a restaurant. But unfortunately, I had to work at that time. And I wasn't able to show up. And I found out later, and this is what really started our relationship, was that Tiff wouldn't allow anybody to sit next to her because she was saving the seat for me, friends. And I'll tell you, this was like on the precursor of like text messages. And so text messages weren't really like popular at that time. But that night I got text messages from all of my friends. They're like, homie, the seat is open. Where are you? (laughs) This is what Jesus is giving us a picture of in Revelation 19. There's a seat for you. I want to form you and I want to shape you, not condemn you. And here's why. Look at verse 7. For the wedding of the lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. Ready for what? Ready to receive what God wants to do in us and ready to live in what God wants to do through us, friends. A relationship with Jesus doesn't stay within you. Hear me. Don't just have a Bible study in a small group. They're important and they're necessary. But if they stay there, you're in a puddle, not a river. You're not going anywhere. And so if you're in a Bible study or a small group that doesn't change the world around you and your neighbors don't know that you love Jesus and love them, that's a problem. Psalms 23 actually talks about this. David writes these words in Psalms 23. Maybe you're familiar with it. Psalms 23 verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures, leads me beside quiet waters, refreshes my soul, guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Listen to the language. It's all forming language, isn't it? Makes me lie down, refreshes my soul, leads me. Man, what a good heavenly father you have. And listen to where it culminates. You prepare a table. (laughs) Ha ha, there it is. You prepare a table before me. And the way that we would read it is, you prepare a table before me and there is some filet mignon and it's good. And for all you wackos, there is cauliflower for those that like are vegetarian, right? I'll never understand that. I love you. I'll never understand that. But maybe when you get to heaven, you'll come to know that Jesus made meat and he made it real good. It's real good. Maybe it'll sit finally well on you, right? We read that verse and we're like, oh, he prepared a table before me. This is so fantastic. In the presence of all the people that love me, right? That's what it says, right? Mm -mm. Why are we around the table? Why are we being formed? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my who? Enemies? (laughs) That must be a spelling error. That must be, they they didn't have spell check in that time. That's the problem, right? Who would, who would eat with their enemies? Oh, the people of God. Because we don't have to have enemies. Because we have a God who's given us victory. We eat with those who love us and we love, and we eat with those who we are learning to love. Because, friends, we are transformed by Jesus Christ. And transformed people help lead others to transformation. 
But if you look at Christianity in our world today, that would not be the narrative that you and I would see, would it? If you look at our social media platforms or if you could take our thoughts and lay it out, that would not be the narrative that you would see, right? We love having enemies and we love being afraid and we love being worried and we love being mad at them. Get out of the fog. That's a fog. That's a funk. That is not following Jesus. And that's what the Revelation writer tells us. John tells us Jesus is showing us something much better. This is what we're invited to. This is what we get to be a part of. And that we don't have to sit down with an enemy and declare war on them. We can sit down and have a conversation and learn about reconciliation and redemption. It doesn't mean that there aren't such things as boundaries. It doesn't mean that there aren't such things as healthy space. All of that is a part of our broken nature. And sometimes there's some brokenness that maybe on this side of heaven cannot be resolved because of the pain that has been caused. But it doesn't mean that we carry around weapons ready to declare war. And I'm preaching to myself today, friends. Jesus has had the victory on the cross and he gives it to you. And then he says, have a seat. Have a seat. Mike, have a seat right here. And Mike, sitting next to you is your friend Devin in his Dodger jersey. Have a seat next to him. And that's where I go, oh, dear Jesus, this is heaven because it doesn't feel like it, right? But this, this is just a silly picture of what happens around the table of God. This is what happens when you and I engage in the story of Jesus. This is what we're invited into. And so Jesus says, have a seat. Don't rush. You want to get out of the fog? Remember. You want to get out of the fog? Be reminded of what God has already done in you. Friends, this is so important because what we do consistently and together is what forms us. What we do consistently and together is what forms us. Let's say it one more time together. What we do consistently and together is what forms us. You don't like who you are becoming. The question you have to ask is, what am I doing consistently and who am I doing it with? What am I doing consistently and who am I doing it with? Because that forms you. Eugene Peterson put it this way, talking about Psalms 23 and Revelation 19. He said, The Lord presides over this meal as a host. A war has rendered all enemies powerless to harm. You know how Jesus fought that war? Gave his life. Psalms 23 and Revelation 19 are companion pieces in the exposition of salvation, showing forth the two elements, rescue from the catastrophe of the shadow of death, hospitality at a table where we are made whole with the intimacies of goodness and mercy. It isn't just about the food, but what fills our soul is the goodness and mercy. You want to get out of the fog and out of the funk? You remember and you're reminded of the person and the work of Jesus and what he's done in you. And it's why you got to get it out of you. And when we get so overwhelmed by creating people to be our enemies, we will miss about the powerful work that Jesus has accomplished in us and through us. You want to get out of the fog? Be reminded of who Jesus is and remember what Jesus is doing. Be reminded of who Jesus is and remember what Jesus is doing. Now, this meal sets up the second thing 
that helps us to get out of the fog and out of the funk. John writes about something called the millennium. Let me read you some scriptures. In Revelation 20, verse 1, it says this, And I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the keys to the abyss, and holding it in his hand, a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient servant who who is the devil and Satan, and bounded him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss. He locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. So, in In summary, John sees Jesus reigning on earth for a thousand years, that's the millennium, and that there's this dragon named Satan or the devil that gets bound so that he doesn't get to do full powerful work, that he's limited in his work. Now, there are three perspectives on this millennium. I'm going to share those three, and then I'm going to share where I land. Before I share that with you, I want to just talk to you for a moment. But here's the three perspectives. The first perspective on this millennium is that this is actually going to happen. There will be a time when Jesus physically will rule and will reign on earth. The second perspective is that this is all going to happen after something called rapture. Rapture isn't a word that's in the scriptures. It's a word that theologians and scholars have created to describe us as Christians being taken up into heaven. And then there's a belief that the earth is just going to be in chaos. And then Jesus is going to come back and bring healing and restoration to it. And then the third perspective is that all of this kingdom work, kingdom activity is happening right now. Now, before I share my, my perspective, I want you to know that you can disagree with me. I want you to know that there's a lot that we can disagree on. I also want you to know that the people of God agree on more than we disagree. And if you have a different perspective, we can still go to the same church. We can still worship the same God. We can still read the same scriptures. We can still take communion together. We can still sing together. We can still be together. We can sit next to one another. I'm not done. And we can still do all of these things together. For some reason, somewhere along the way, we decided that, well, if you don't match up completely with me, then that's a problem. Friends, I have an education, a biblical education. I do study. I have more time on my hands than probably you have to do that study. It's why I have the opportunity and the privilege to be able to share with you. And I take that very, very seriously. But I also know that many of you are well-educated in the scriptures and there will be things that we will land on where we will disagree. And that is, hear me, okay. The one thing that unifies us and the one thing that we will not negotiate and it's the one thing that we talk about often here at Active and it's the one thing that will bring us together. Not cause us to be uniform, but cause us to be united. And that is the person and the work of Jesus. We cannot negotiate that. That he is God. That he did die. That he did rise from the grave. That he did live a selfless, obedient life and died a selfless, obedient death. We can't negotiate that. That's what unifies us. But whatever version of the scriptures you read, cool. You can read that version. Whatever perspective you have on like this millennium, cool. You can have that perspective. My my dad has always said, here's my perspective. When the bus shows up, I'm getting on the bus. I'm gonna be on the first bus out. And I always ask as a kid, I'm like, Jesus has a bus? (laughs) Kind of seems cheap. I mean, God who has everything in his hands, wouldn't he have like a jet? Or maybe he's like environmentally conscious. So like that's why he doesn't have a, a, a jet, has a, but I don't know. Like this is, this is something that I think we just need to get, grab a hold of, friends. Because we often will make each other the enemy because we see things a bit differently. Now, 
I want to share where I land, but first I want to talk about Jesus for a moment because this is the thing, this is the one, he is the God that unifies us. But I think often our perspective of Jesus is limited by how we were raised. Our perspective of Jesus is messed with by what we've seen from Christians. Our perspective of Jesus isn't who Jesus actually is. And so let's just read about Jesus for a moment. Revelation 19 verse 11, it reads this way. John is singing. He said, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called faithful and true. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns and he has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on a white, white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Friends, this isn't sweet baby Jesus. Because for some of us, we need to hear that because Jesus has only been sweet baby Jesus in our faith and it's why our faith is struggling. Our faith is cute. Our faith is Christmas, Easter. Our faith is, I pray. Our faith is, I read the Bible sometimes. Jesus grew up. This isn't 80s, blown-dried, hairspray hair, Jesus. This isn't white Jesus. This isn't Americanized Jesus. This isn't Western Jesus. This is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Jesus. This is pure and holy and good and righteous and powerful, Jesus. This is the Jesus who shows up with blood on his robe, and it's not the blood of his enemies, friends. It's his own blood, because through his death, we have found life. This is who John is talking about. If you're a guy, you're manly, way more manly than I, and I know I'm not the standard at all, but if you're a guy and you're like, I'm struggling with Jesus because there's a lot of conversation about love, this is the Jesus that loves you. And if you're a lady and you're trying to find like a, a healthy image of Jesus and maybe sometimes you struggle with that healthy image of Jesus, this is the Jesus that's healthy and holy. And if you're wondering about if this Jesus is real, John says, let me tell you about what I saw and what I heard and what I experienced. This Jesus has King of Kings and Lord of Lords tattooed down his leg. And somebody told you tattoos are not good for Christian people. And Jesus shows up and goes, look at this sucker right here. <laughs> this is the Jesus that we follow. And it's that perspective and two perspectives of following Jesus from Mark and from Matthew that impact how I see the millennium. And here's my perspective of the millennium. It's happening right now. We're in it, friends. We're there. Let me read you two scriptures to help set the, set the scene and then we'll land this conversation. Mark chapter 1 verse 14. Jesus shows up on the scene Mark timestamps this moment for us. He says, after John was put into prison, that's John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus. So timestamp it, historically documented, so that you would know it's not once upon a time. He says, 
that when John was put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news. He says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Notice the language of Jesus isn't, hey, something's coming. Jesus shows up and goes, it's right here, suckers. I don't think he said suckers. I think he probably said friends. Like, it's right here. Kingdom of God is here. And then he didn't just say it, he announced it in the way that he lived. He redeemed, restored, renewed sight to the blind. Those that couldn't walk, could walk. Those that had leprosy and had a death sentence actually found healing. There's even a moment where Jesus casts a demon out of a guy. And I know for some of you are like, demons, that's weird. Feels like a movie. I get it. But it's a part of the story. And it's a part of the story, not so that we can get caught up in the demon in the person. It's a part of the story to, to show you who has all the power. And that Jesus has all the power. In fact, there's a moment where he casts this demon out and the demon says to Jesus, oh, is now the appointed time? Like even the enemy of God knows that the kingdom of God is here. And the enemy of God knows that all the fun is about to end. (laughs) When Jesus casts out this demon, one of the religious leaders says, oh, he casts out demons by the devil. He's of the devil. Satan is in him and he's casting demons out because of the power of Satan. And Jesus goes, oh, really? Listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 12. He says, if Satan drives out Satan, he's divided against himself. How can his kingdom stand? But if this is by the spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has what? Come upon you, friends. It's here. And then here's here's why I believe that when we read about the millennium, it's happening right now. We read these words. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. What Jesus is saying is that the followers of Jesus tie up the strong man who has taken from us, stolen from us, has robbed us of our identity, robbed us of grace and compassion and love, robbed us of all the things that give us hope and give us help. And Jesus says, the people of God, you know what they do? They go into the strong man's house, they tie him up and they plunder his goods. They take from him what he has taken from us. And friends, the reason why I believe that we're living in the kingdom of God now, that the millennium is talking about right now is because there's a lot of plundering that's happening in our world. Now, maybe you would say, because of where we started this conversation, I don't feel like it. It feels like the world's going to hell in a handbasket. I love that phrase. I don't know what it means. Like, wouldn't hell burn up the handbasket? Like, are we Little Red Riding Hood? Like, I don't understand, but maybe you can help me afterwards. That would be really helpful. But maybe you look at the world, you're like, it's going crazy. And I would submit to you that you are wrong. Think about what's happening in the ancient Near East. First of all, Christianity in China, in Iran, in Africa is growing so exponentially that they don't have enough people to teach people how to follow Jesus. There are 2.6 billion Christians on this planet right now, up 44 million from last year. 
Friends, Tim Keller writes these words, and may God rest his soul, a follower of Jesus, just recently passed away. But in regards to this conversation, he said, demographers tell us that in the 21st century, it will be less secular than the 20th century. There have been seismic religious shifts towards Christianity in sub-Saharan Africa, China, while evangelism and Pentecostalism have exponentially grown in Latin America. Even in the United States, the growth of the nuns, which are people that were Christians, now are not Christians, really don't hold a posture of spirituality. The the growth of the nuns has been mainly among those previously identified but nominal as Christians or disengaged as Christians with faith while, they devout, while the devoutly religious in the United States and Europe are growing. Sounds like a lot of plunder, doesn't it? Let me tell you about some local plunder. Like how you and I decided to support over 15 orphans with Ninos de Baja when they were here. And how we sent almost $10,000 to support that orphanage. And how we sent over $10,000 in groceries alone to make sure that they are fed. That sounds like some plunder, doesn't it? Or how about what's just happening here at Active Church in the last year? We are up, attendance-wise, 13%. We had two campuses before the pandemic hit, and we had averaged 1,200 people. We have one campus because of the pandemic, and we averaged 1,200 people on a weekend. Just last weekend, we saw 21 people get baptized in this place. It's the middle of the freaking summer and people are choosing to get baptized. Not because it's hot, but because they love Jesus. Amen. Maybe you're asking the question, well, why would you share these numbers? Because every number has a name and every name has a story and every story belongs to God. And you're a numbers person just like I am. Because if last week I said there were 20 people that got baptized and you knew that there were 21 people, you would go, well, what happened to that one person? And if it was the one person that you loved, you would say, how come they don't count? Suddenly you're a numbers person, aren't you? This is why we count. This is why we keep track because it gives us a sense of what God is doing. Sounds like the strong man has been tied up, friends. Sounds like we're plundering his goods. One theologian put it this way. We're living in a world where Satan is like a mob boss in prison trying to call all the shots and he's losing because Jesus is Lord. You wanna get out of the fog? Stop believing that the world is going crazy and winning and start believing that Jesus is Lord and that his cross and his resurrection actually are winning. <laughs> Friends, the Christian faith isn't shrinking, it's just shifting locations. Because God is looking for people who are ready, authentic, vulnerable, willing, obedient to be the people that tell the story of Jesus and do it in a way that's not led by fear or worry or anxiety, but get out of the fog and out of the funk and they start plundering the strong man's goods because Jesus is Lord and he has promised to be with you always. This is what we're invited into. When we get out of the fog and out of the funk, man, let's, let's remember Let's be reminded. Let's not rush. In fact, I have an invitation for you this week. Something I know that you can do. Whether you've been a Christian a long time or you just started this journey, you just showed up today. I want to invite you to do something with us this week. Let's eat and drink and laugh together around a table this week. And let's choose to remember and be reminded. 
Let's invite those we love and let's invite those that we're learning to love. And maybe you need a conversation starter. Here's a great conversation starter. Hey, when did God become real to you? Not when you became a Christian because not everybody will be a Christian around your table. Not when you started going to church because some people may not even be going to church. Hey, but when did God become real? Is God real to you? Maybe it's time we just start acknowledging and honoring the stories of people. Friends, this is why we should get off of social media and make some friends. Because there are some people that need the story that God has placed in you and they need to hear it through you. And so let's eat and let's drink and let's laugh around a table this week. In fact, could I even invite you to tag us on social media? I know that feels weird. Like we're going to take a photo and you're going to tag it. It feels like you're bragging. You are! You are bragging because there's not many people that will sit around the table with people that they love and that they're learning to love. We'll only find our people and then we'll talk about those people and we'll create enemies. But what if instead we decided to not be that, but to be the people of God? What if instead you answered this question with yes? Would you consider taking a seat at the table with us? What if instead of like talking about it, we just did it together? We remembered and we were reminded. What I want to invite you to do in this next moment is let's take communion together because it's around the communion table where we find forgiveness and freedom. It's around the communion table that we are invited to remember it's around the communion table that we are invited to be, we are invited to be reminded of the work of God. So what, what if instead of just saying like, oh, this is a really great idea. Let's just, let's start the week taking communion together. If you're able, I want to invite you to grab communion from the tables to the side or in the back and then return to your seat, remain standing and we'll take these elements together. Once you grab, once you grab communion, come back to your chair and remain standing. And if you would, open up the wafer at the top. And before we take it, let me just remind you, let's not rush. sit in this moment for just a moment. And may you hear the words of Jesus. Come to me, all who are tired and weary, and I will give you rest. Come and see. Come and believe. Come and follow. If you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That we are God's workmanship. 
masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good deeds. May we be reminded as we take this wafer that the body of Jesus was broken so that we may find healing. Let's take it together. And let's not rush as we open up the juice that represents the blood of Jesus that brings forgiveness. May we be reminded of what the scriptures teach that there is nothing, absolutely nothing that can separate you from the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus our Lord. That he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. That God takes your sins and separates you from your sin as far as the east is from the west. Let's remember what Jesus has accomplished for us. That we are not who we once were, but we are now people who belong to him. So we take this and we remember. Heavenly Father, may we no longer live in a fog or in a funk. May we no longer believe that there isn't something better coming. May we live in the better story right now. May we recognize that there will be some who will agree with us and there will be some who won't. And may we not declare war on them and may they not declare war on us. But may we be people that are not uniform, but united around the person and the work of Jesus. May you do a great work in us. May we be people that see a victory. May we be people that acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. May we be people that are reminded. May we be people that remember. May we be people that sing and celebrate. And may we do this without shame or fear or guilt, but do it in freedom. And may we do all of this in the name of Jesus Christ who is Lord. And may we do this in his name. And together we say, amen and amen and amen. Let's celebrate and let God know about how we are grateful for what he's done in us.